What's up, YouTube? I'm Robert. This is the Biker Channel, B1. Today, you're here on the 13th episode of the Biker Bar, which is every Sunday at 5 p.m. PST, unless we come up with some reason to change the time that particular weekend. So it happens. Nonetheless, um, what I wanted to do first was was uh, tell everybody out there, I really appreciate you guys all, all tuning into the show every week. And those of you that aren't tuning in every week for the live version, and are checking it out on Apple's uh, podcast app or Google Play or over there on SoundCloud, SoundCloud, not card. I, apparently, I haven't had enough drink today because I, I still can't speak. Um, so if you guys are stopping by one of those spots, definitely give the uh, the podcast a review, maybe uh, hopefully a uh, as bit of, best of a rating as you can. Otherwise, um, I'll hunt you down. And uh, <laughs> so nonetheless, here we are. It is, uh, like I said, the 13th episode. And today I have Patrick from Cali Protectives. You guys know that I, I, I definitely talk about Cali's uh, helmets a bunch. Some of you guys have been around the channel for a while. Have you have seen the uh, interview that I did with their owner and founder? But uh, Patrick's one of the guys behind the curtains. Yeah. Patrick, uh, I'll let you go ahead and say hello, and maybe what your position is there, and then we can, we can figure out where we're going from there. Hey, YouTube. Yeah, this is uh, Pat from Cali. Um, I'm the marketing manager uh, at Cali, and basically, if you see our logo or product anywhere, I probably have a hand in helping getting it there. So, um, yeah, uh, I obviously all of uh, all of Cali's uh, basically consumer-facing um, efforts. So, um, and working with this guy here is uh, part of that effort, unfortunately. So. <laughs> Right, you get the blessing. The first thing I'm gonna have to do to you is what what's going on with that drop bar in the background there? Drop bar. Oh, well that's the gravel bike. Um I know yeah. I've seen it in person, but I figured, you know, we might as well talk about this since this is a mountain biking, uh mountain bike centric channel. I'm not saying it's only mountain biking, but yeah, that's a pretty pretty sick ride. I remember when I've seen it before. What is it that you got back there? It's a it's a um UK based manufacturer or brand um it's a kinesis tripster atr um it's not a, they're not distributed in the u.s but i know the guys from uh from the company and uh what i liked about it uh was when i was thinking about building a gravel bike it was one of the first bikes about a year or two ago um that actually had dual wheel compatibility so it actually can run 700c by 45 tires or get rowdy with 27 five by two mountain bike tires and it has a dropper post so that's it's pretty cool. yeah it's pretty that's actually tanky. really cool i didn't know that <laughs> yeah yeah so uh like i actually did a a gravel ride with um red kite prayer mm, two weekends ago and um it was over two days the first day we rode an occidental in um east of no west of santa rosa and that was a longer day, 55 miles, 5,400 feet of climbing. And I rode my 700C tire, tire and wheel setup so that I could roll faster. Then the next day was just a sort of putt through the local uh, bike park, which was um, Annadale in Santa Rosa itself. And so I was able to swap out the, t the wheels for the two-inch tires and basically mob around on any single track I really wanted to. How's Annadale looking? For those of you guys that aren't from this area, Annadale uh, is 
in the Santa Rosa area, which was was hit by wildfires pretty hard. And um, Annadale is probably like one of the the best places to ride, like right in that local area. Also, it being in in the Northern California Marin area, it, the the actual legal trails are very few and far between. So that's definitely one of the better places that you can ride legally. So uh, what, what would what it look like over there? So we, I actually um, lived in Santa Rosa back in 2008 and um, um, rode there a bit a lot. And this was the first time I'd been back there and the first time I'd been back there after the fires. Um, but we actually stayed on mainly the fire roads and that looked fine. You know, the park was in good shape. I, I didn't see anything that touched by fire. You could see where ash and other embers had fallen on areas that were still fine, but, um, um, you know, saw some of the devastation, but from the, we didn't actually see any of the fire damage on our ride. Um, oh, but wow. from what I'm, yeah, but from what I'm told though, they've, uh, by, uh, the locals who rode with us that uh, the trail crews are, are out there constantly working to repair as often as possible. So they're trying to open up more and more trails and I'm not sure where it stands right now, but people are riding like all over the place. So, yeah, I mean, I would imagine, like I said, there's not a whole lot of places to ride in that area that aren't illegal anyway. So I, I, I would imagine that even if it's like three trails that are open, people are like, I'm going, <laughs> you know, yeah. Apparently the the not so legal trails on Annadale were hit pretty hard, so yeah. uh, we'll see what happens. Though I'm sure uh, the, uh, the 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 tra trail nymphs will will go to work and um, yeah, pretty cool shit in no time there. Yeah, I couldn't imagine going there on a rigid bike, but I guess if you're you're um, just sticking to the fire roads, then that wouldn't be too bad. And Annadale has some pretty good chunk and a lot of little oh. like baby head kind of trails that are, that are pretty fun to, to run. Yeah. Um, I was actually the most mountain biker of the group, uh, which is kind of funny. But <laughs> I, I mean, who brought 27, five by two inch knobby tires with the dropper post. Right. And one guy and he, he worked for Cali. Um, right. But it was rad because um, even on the mellow fire road that we were on, um, it was like riding a pontoon boat in a sense, you know, it just sort of rolled over everything. And then, um, uh, with endless traction when I wanted to get rowdy. So it was a little bit slower, but, um, I did want to do some of the single track, uh, but the group was, um, very roady and <laughs> we didn't have people that were that adventurous. Um, I was like, there's a simple single track up to the meadow. And they're like, uh, no. And I was <laughs> like, Oh, that sucks. You gotta beat it. <laughs> so, yeah, I know that was that like North and South Burma is per, per, Burma, I think it's called is like pretty rowdy. It's yeah. super fun to come down. <clears throat> I used to ride my uh, full blown cross bike with 38 mil tires at, um, in San, uh, Santa Luna. Ride that bike in San Luis Obispo, and that was pretty rocky. So, I was actually eager to, you know, throw the bike around, but, you know, they're more roady than mountain biker on, on this ride. <laughs> which uh which which uh cali helmet do you put on whenever you decide to go ride uh so that that was the last that was the last time i rode with a road bike or oriented helmet and i rode an, a new helmet from ours i hadn't ridden with before uh it's called the preem uh it's an entry-level road helmet but uh that we introduced this year um 
so it's cool to try that out and that actually might become my current favorite um when i'm on uh the gravel bike but uh that my go-to has, has ldl in it too no that's so this is uh uh, we've been phasing in some new road stuff in the last two years, and this was a $60 offering. So it's just a basic uh, EPS foam helmet, but mm -hmm. we put the softest helmet we or foam we can inside of it. Uh, and then it has just kind of a more modern, cool shape, uh, which was kind of funny when I first saw it about a year ago um, in a clay. And Brad, the owner, showed me the helmet, and he's like, what do you think of this? I said, sweet, is that going to be our like $120 helmet? He's like, no, it's going to be our $60 helmet. I was like, okay, sounds great. Is it called Prem but spelled like Prime? So Prem is actually a racing term uh -huh. uh, from uh, crit racing. Um, it's basically a bell lap. So you're you know racing NASCAR style on a closed circuit, and then whether it be by time or lap count, there will be – prize laps and that's called a prime lap mm -hmm. so it's spelled prime but it's uh actually a, i guess a french term for prime did you guys have another helmet that looks almost exact because that looks like the one that i'm riding the red one and i'm riding except for the one i have has the ldl on it um that's the al that's the um wow now i'm really showing my uh, that's oh, a yeah. therapy okay here, I'll put the yeah, link to the cream up there for the people in the in the live stream. Yeah. Right. Right. So the therapy is a is a is a definitely a step up from that. Um, basically, it's still an in molded helmet, so single density EPS foam, but it's got um, the LDL in it, our low density layer, um, low G, and rotational protection system, and it's basically at that hundred dollar price point and up from Cali you'll see us introducing that tech. So let's go ahead and get into that because I'm, I, I would, th this is the downside. The downside is that I've talked to you guys so much about your products that I'm going to take some, make some uh, assumptions that people know what the hell I'm talking about. And that's probably the wrong thing to do right fucking now. So <laughs> let's take a step back and, and say, let, let's let people know what is the difference between LDL and what would be comparable to what most people probably have already heard of, which is MIPS. So. And well, go. Sorry, I know. What? <laughs> and go. <laughs> uh, it's like where to start with this. So it's, it's probably easiest because if people are familiar with helmets, bicycle helmets and um, enhanced protection, most people think of MIPS, as you talked about. So MIPS was the first company uh, to really spend a lot of time, research, money, uh, and marketing in saying we can make a safer helmet. And the way they addressed this was is this uh, rotational or uh, oblique impact uh, protection, basically trying to re reduce the torque on your head and your brain. Um, they were the first to do it. Their idea was the plastic uh, kind of shower cap that floats between your head and the EPS shell. Sort of did its job. But as we started to look more and more into this, um, other people, including Callie's founder, said, how can we do this better? You know, it's, it's a good idea, but can we do this in a better way? So we went about, um, about it by using gel padding. Uh, and, and worked with the Imperial College of London, 
uh, and the Armor Gel Lab uh, to create our low density layer technology. So it's a gel padding system. They look like octagon, or not octagon, <laughs> um, green Lego octopus strips, and they yeah, line I, the inside. I think I think the the top of Lego is like a hollow, like if the little yep. circles on the top of Lego was hollow to look maybe more like a macaroni. That's kind of kind of what it looks like. It's almost the same size as a macaroni, like little macaroni noodles kind of sticking towards your head. Yeah, <laughs> and. Every Everybody thinks it's going to stick to your head, but what's cool about that shape and um, is that it's not by chance. We actually tested out what a circle would be like. So this that oblong um, or that oval shape to those inverted Legos um, is designed purposely to protect you against additional impact. So you're, you've got your EPS shell, which is designed for a big testing standard, the CPSC standard. That's meant to keep you alive. But we add this LDL padding system to the inside of the helmet uh, to address the other impacts, uh, the lower G impacts uh, and the rotational impacts like what MIPS address. And, um, Wow, sorry. Yeah, I, I think that I think that was one of the things that Brad and Brad is when we're referring to Brad that he's the the owner and the founder of of Cali or one of the owners and, and founders of Cali and uh, he uh, basically had told me at the time that he you know that he really wanted to be able to create a helmet that was also really good on the the kind of like the <laughs> we were joking calling it the, the the small bump compliance where it's like these helmets were really made well to like have these huge impacts on them, but they weren't necessarily made for like, to protect you in that circumstance where you just kind of like fall over on the side of your bike and just being your melon a little bit. But so he kind of, he said that that was part of the reason as well, right? True. So, um, Cali is very, very tied into, um, research. Um, we try to make the safest helmet possible first and then, uh, dress it up for uh, fashion sense and uh, styling. Um, and one way you can look at that is actually why we decided to develop LDL. So CPSC is the testing standard for bicycle helmets, and that requires that the helmet transfer no more than 300 Gs of uh, force to the brain. That's the force needed to crack the human skull. I was set back in the 70s. So um, that's a really big hit, and hopefully the helmet is there to protect you from the worst case. But through studies, it, uh, they've also found that 80% um, of uh, bicycle crashes occur at or below 100 Gs. And then on top of that, uh, studies have also shown from boxing that you can get knocked out with as little as 74 Gs of linear force. So why is our helmet designed to be so hard? You know, for, it's for that big impact. So we're trying to fill that gap and address a wider range of impacts by putting that soft gel material in there because it can compress at a lower G-force than uh, the EPS shell. So it's softer stuff next to your head to cushion you against those smaller bump compliance type hits that um, you're more commonly going to experience. Yeah, and, and then also then it still does the rotational side, which is kind of what the, the MIPS does as well so that that's kind of what you're what you're carrying like covering with it the thing is too 
is when you look at this stuff on the bottom of the helmet, like it really doesn't look like it's not like this huge thing under there. It's just like, it's really a kind of like a small little, little thing. And I think when you're saying gel too, it, it, like if, if I was like, even me knowing what it is, like that gives me like the wrong thought in my head. It's like almost like a harder racer kind of like, like a feeling like a, instead of like a gel, like when I think gel, I think of something that's really kind of like fluidy, like almost like slime in a bag. You, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, but I mean, yes, the, the product is a gel. So, I mean, yeah, obviously, as like, far no, as the side, you know what the fuck you're talking about, man. <laughs> no, no, but you're, you're the, the original point that you're getting at. We'll, we'll oversee the overlook the other part because that's just mm -hmm. funny. We can get that later. Um, right. but, uh, the, the size of the gel pad is, is an interesting thing because MIPS was really good at at marketing the, the way the shell moved and how their system worked. But um, in testing, we found that it takes very little movement, um, very little shearing or motion uh, that occurs to um, counter these rotational forces. So they don't need to be bigger. Like we actually tested far larger pieces of gel within there, within there um, or within the helmet um, and different shapes and everything. And we actually settled on this as the best performer for the range of impacts we were addressing. So, um, yeah, they're very tiny, but um, they're next to your head as close as we can get them. And um, all they need to do is just be a little bit of a bumper and um, the ability to twist on top of your head. So um, you talked to me about, and sorry, I'm going to change gears a little bit. You, you talked to me yeah. about what your... Uh your helmet of choice was that you were wearing on, on your CX bike whenever you're riding your mountain bike back there, which we also need to talk about. Um, what, what is it that you choose on that one? Uh, that one right now, um, there's two helmets that I grab most often. Um, but really the one I picked the most is the Maya. Um, right now it's the Maya 2.0, uh, that was introduced this year. And um, that is our veteran helmet that we introduced in 2015 as one of the early adopters of this deep coverage um, enduro style um, additional protection helmets that was kind of the fad back then. Um, I love it because it's, it's compact, small, really comfortable. We got the head form right on that one. The pad set's super comfy. Um, and then I, uh, I, I, I will, I'll have to jump in there. I can tell you that when I um, first saw that helmet, Richard from Sticker had it, and uh, he was like, "Dude, you got to try this helmet on." I was like, "Honestly, I don't really give a fuck, dude." Because like, I got a helmet. I like it. I like my helmet. Why do I even care about your helmet? And uh, and he he like just was pressing me. He's like, "No, dude, seriously, this thing's like crazy comfortable. Try it on." And finally, I was like, "Just to shut the guy up," because you know, dude, he just likes to talk, right? So <laughs> just to shut him up, I was like, "Fine, I'll put it on." I put it on. And I was like, "Oh my god, I need to get one of these like instantly." Like that comfortable, that helmet is really that comfortable, at least for me in my head. I mean, you must have been dropped down the stairs just as many times as me because like my head's all kinds of lumpy and I, I really like that helmet a lot. I, I really can't speak well enough about it. <clears throat> it. It's been a really good shape. We got it right. And it's always challenging when designing a helmet and, and how you design it to set on that head form 
can really change the way that the it fits. And we hit it right with the Maya, uh, and it's just comfortable. And then um, this year we we added that LDL protection, and then we kind of we changed the padding a little bit. I'm, I'm, it's uh, still a wicking material, but we just found a better supplier, and it, it's got this different checkered pattern on it, and it's just comfy. You know, you yeah. just put it on your head, and it's comfortable. So um, it's not a big change for the model this year, but um, I love the helmet, it, it, and it's not too hot here in um, Morgan Hill and Santa Cruz. I spend most of my time riding in Santa Cruz, so coastal weather where the Maya – doesn't really have a problem i'd say on the really really hot days or if i'm on uh no i know that i'm going to be on an exposed ridge um i would go for uh the in, the inv not the invader the interceptor uh which is our our top tier enduro helmet um and and that one is uh, a really deep coverage really highly ventilated helmet which is great for guys who either run really hot or um uh sweat a lot and just want a lot of venting in a, in a, in a I sweat my ass off and I like that com that helmet's so comfortable with me I don't even give a shit it, I mean it, it definitely doesn't have the same kind of like air ventilation if you're one of those people that that is particular about that but I mean to me it's just it's a really comfortable helmet so I mean I know no matter what helmet I have I've never had a helmet that I'm not just dripping sweat all over my glasses and everything all the time so to me, it's just like that thing's just so comfortable. I don't even care. I don't want to try anything else. <laughs> and it's, it's just a great helmet for the, for what it is and the price and what it delivers. Yeah, um, it's not super expensive either. What is the, what's the regular retail on that? Yeah. It's a hundred dollars. hundred bucks. Yeah. So I mean, that's, that's totally reasonable for a helmet. I mean, it's not yeah. fucking $23 from what you're getting at, at Walmart, but it's not a Walmart helmet, right? <laughs> oh, no. I mean, and it's uh, it's it's a helmet. It's kind of like the Fox Flux in that it's a helmet that I don't see us changing a lot. We might bring out new models, but that helmet's going to stay the same. And part of the reason why we were able to keep the cost at 100 was we're using an older style dual closure, but thing just works that's why it's in there like the, that instead of a dial or something like that and um heavy duty straps with cam so everything stays in place and then i gotta say the the weirdest part about that helmet but that has grown on not only us as a company but our fans and and the buying public is the visor um it's nice and flexible full coverage um and uh it's it's just so funny because that when that helmet came out when the Maya came out in 2015 it was labeled the uh, duckbill platypus you know mm -hmm. or it just looked funny. That's um, funny. I didn't I didn't ever really notice anything with the with the visor that like jumped out to me. I was like, looks like every other one I have. Well, well, that was the thing is before that nobody had a visor really like that. And if you go back and you find the pink bike or um, well, generally pink bike because of the comments on there, um, right. they they ripped it a new one over its look. And yet year after year, everybody else has kind of come along to that same design and aesthetic. And so we're kind of sitting here pretty sort of going, uh-huh. Okay. We're doing good now. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you one of those tough Oprah, Oprah questions because I'm seeing it come up in the, uh, in the chat here. So uh -oh. okay. um, you, you talked about finding a different supplier for your, your pads inside of the, the Maya there a second ago. Yeah. And there's people, there's a, there's a handful of people on here saying, so when are they going to get the strike knee pads in? 
because I've been trying to buy them and <laughs> what's yeah. going on with the strikes? Okay, so um, it's another one of those lovely supplier issues. So nice segue there. Um, so basically, we buy the cap on the strike pads. It's made out of a, a material called um, uh, xylem, and it's so, uh, so when just to clarify, when you say cap, that's actually the the pad part uh, of the the actual. Yeah, it's that comb exterior piece. That's where the the big tech is, and and um, it's made by an Italian chemical company, and so um, it's been just a bit of a, you know struggle to get consistent supply so we had a really good initial batch and we ordered conservatively and try to place orders right away but it's it's looking like um i want to say december is when I, I i saw the last so i'm sorry to all the fans out there that have been looking for for getting a hold of these um i mean we're air shipping them in as as soon as they're available um and, so every uh, once in a while, you get a few few small batches in. You're just like sending them out to your uh, your your like resellers, or yeah, it's it's on the website, but they sell like instantly, or exactly like as soon as it hits the um, the inventory, um, the website syncs every hour. It's there, but sometimes as soon as it's received, the minute that the warehouse guys go to process an order, it's already taken up. So. Um, I, I, I haven't even had a chance to steal any way to replace um, my own athletes. So that's, um, that's something we're looking to, we're working on improving um, going into 2019. Uh, but this was a first year product for us. Um, so one of the like, other, other questions that was up here just a minute ago that yeah. is coming back into that as well as the guy was asking about D30. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Was, yeah. He was asking if if the knee pads on the the or the strikes are a similar material where that like where it's flexible but it gets hard when you hit it. Yeah. So um, D three O is a very specific formulation, uh, a copyright uh, written formulation uh, or patented maybe, um, and it it performs in a specific way. However, they formulate that material. Um, the strike pad is a different material, but we call it phase changing because it does. Um, harden or distribute energy um, differently. So whereas D3O hardens, um, uh, the uh, strike pad, um, when it gets hit, it tries to send that energy through the rest of the pad to kind of dissipate it. So imagine it's kind of like hitting a drum, you know, you see it ripple out if you see it in uh, really slow-mo. Imagine yeah. that with energy yeah. through the material. So it doesn't harden, but it does, um, distribute it across the knee um, better than distributes the energy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally see what you're saying there. I I'm telling you, I freaking went down like in a ride up in Tahoe and just kind of like my, my, I was coming down this like big rock slab and my, I think I, I must've had too much break on my backside or something. And I slid down, I like slammed my elbow down into this rock. And, and I know for a fact, like how hard I hit, if I didn't have those pads on that day, I would have like shattered my elbow. I mean, I, I, I freaking railed it. And uh, it was one of those things where I hit it so hard, I was like expecting to be hurt, you know? And then I was like, oh, wow. Oh my God, I'm so glad I had those on because um, I've never been a pad wearer. I've never been a pad wearer. I, I've been riding mountain bikes since the 90s. And it wasn't until just recently whenever I took a pretty good digger. Some of you guys have seen that that video up in Auburn and uh, just 
that night I'm laying in bed with my, both my knees wrapped up, both my elbows wrapped up. And I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous, dude. Yeah. you know, I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like, really? Like, this is, this is the re like, this is the reason that you don't want to wear pads so that you can have this happen to you. I mean, you're riding mountain bikes for God's sakes, you know? And at that point I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to get some. And then just so happened that at the same time that I was introduced to you guys as well. So that really played out well. I'll, I will say that those once again, another product that you guys have that's just un unbelievably comfortable that's one of the things that people ask me about those pads every time they see me with them on they're like are they comfortable and i'm like dude sometimes i finish the ride we stand around and drink beer for like two hours and i don't even take them off uh -oh. like almost all the you know what i mean like all the other guys you'll see like uh -oh. what's going on hmm? you lost me with the uh-oh anyways all the other guys, and he must have had a, a little network problem. I'm going to keep talking while he comes back. <clears throat> so all the other guys oh, that I, I just uh, came, I lost you, you for a minute. So all the other guys that, that are standing around there, though, with the different different types of pads on, like they're almost all of them immediately are like they're down around their ankles, you know, and where it's like, I just leave them on. And, and the only thing that I was concerned about was because that front pad is like so big, like like compared to like looking at like a g form or some other brands that use that like that's probably that that material you were talking about that d3o like i was like oh these things are gonna like wiggle around they're gonna like slide or something like that and they don't so i mean they stay in place they totally stay in place and and the elbows was the ones i was the most worried about and i just did yesterday i did 22 miles of downhill I was wearing my pads all day long. I didn't adjust them at all from the time I put them on until the time I was done. And I mean, that's, that, that was a solid day. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so, it, uh, that the, the cool part with that material is so using your, um, D3O compa comparison, a D3O pad, if you ever cut open or get a chance to, to see the actual pad in most body armor, it's, pretty solid and bulky. It's actually more like what our mission pad is um, as far as it's a dense, solid-ish foam-like pad. The strikes are actually, um, the material allows us to make that honeycomb pattern. And because of that, um, and still maintain its protection, it, it allows us to make a, a pad that's really, really breathable and comfortable. And then I've found that the more you wear them, like throughout the ride, even if it's on a climb, your own body heat will heat that pad up and help it conform to you and stay in place. So I put them on at the beginning of a ride. And like you said, end a ride and forget to take them off. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's definitely really easy to, to like forget that they're there. I mean, it's and, and to me, I think that's 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 a good sign. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And then you're protected and you don't have to worry about it because you're comfortable you know somebody was asking in here if you have them in xxl no we only go up to an xl right now um and uh yeah it's yeah. they stretch I mean, it, it, it is yeah he, yeah i think he was saying he had the xls but they're a little tight so either way i just figured I'd, I'd ask the question real quick um so let's get back to that other bike behind you what's up with the pivot there yeah so that's my uh Firebird 29er. It's that, that was the bike that everybody was talking about at, at Outer Bike this year or Inner Bike, Inner Bike this year. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, so I got, 
I placed my order basically when it went live and uh, was lucky enough to get one of the early ones. Um, I, I just described it to somebody uh, kind of like this. Um, it's like getting a hold of a, a golf cart without a speed restrictor. You just know you're going <laughs> to shit. That sounds like so much fun. <laughs> I mean, you just go over anything and everything, and it doesn't care. If anything, you're the one who's holding it back. And it, it's, it's definitely um, – I mean, it's a cliche term, but this is the first bike that I experienced where this term made sense. But um, trophy truck, like it's 170 mil travel with 29er wheels. Um, it just goes over everything and you just go faster. I mean, you, you'd, you'd think that lifting your finger off the brake was like hitting an accelerator. You know, it just wow. goes. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to ride that bike sometime. I, I think they have those up at Victory Vell. It's one of my my local local shop up here at just Auburn. Yep. I'm gonna have to go up there and try one of those out because I I honestly haven't ridden a 29er that I've I've been in love with yet. So you're, you're making what me drink Kool Aid. What's that? What was the last 29er that you rode? I think the last one that I was on was like a specialized camber. Is that was, is that a 29er? The camber? Yeah, is there shorter travel? Yeah. yeah. I actually was, I wasn't like completely like I didn't hate that one as much as some of the other ones I've ridden, but um but I, I can say that I've been riding a, like almost every twenty seven five plus bike that I've ridden, which is almost yeah. a twenty nine er, I really enjoyed. But I, I personally think that the reason I like those better is because I'm a big guy and I think that those tires really hook up. So it's like, it gives me a sense of like, what a really like, what a 170 pound guy on my tires would feel like, you know? So I'm like, oh wow, this is, this is what it feels like to have traction. So I think yeah. I'm willing to give up some of that twitchiness because of that. But we're on the 29 or I feel like I, maybe it's because I had BMX, you know, when I, I was a BMX guy when I was younger or whatever, I just like that, like, twitchier bike you know where you can really kind of pick the line yourself i feel like the 29er kind of is like kind of like picks its own line it's like hey you want to go through this rock garden we're going to go through it kind of the way that i want to do it you're just going to hang the fuck on <laughs> sorry no worries um, I, I totally get what you mean. Uh, I mean, this bike's running a, what is it? A two six, I think it's running two sixes front and rear. Um, and it's got a wide set, set of Reynolds wheels, carbon wheels on it. Um, it does roll over everything. It doesn't quite have that, that plus cush feel, but it's a little more accurate with the way that it, it, I don't know contact patches i feel like plus tires you're you're you you're kind of accepting a certain amount of um sidewall flex and this doesn't have it it just has 170 mil of travel to make up for it and right. so it does roll over everything like you said it, if you want to let it pick the line it will what i like about what pivot's done is they did the shorter offset fork which really i feel has helped with keeping long travel or longer travel 29ers from feeling kind of floppy in the front, like riding an, an evil reckoning uh, with uh, 
I guess it's the current 45 mil offset forks. It, it felt not only is it a long bike, but that just made it kind of lazy and you were more of a passenger. So Pivot's done a pretty good job with this thing to not only keep the chain stays short and then the offset of the fork really kind of helps to keep the wheels wheelbase or the bike's wheelbase down. Um, it doesn't feel like a 29er, dude. It, it feels like yeah. a like a 275 with a little bit extra yeah yeah i mean i definitely i mean i i think it's just a matter of me getting on one and probably having one for like a longer period of time than than one ride you know to kind of just get like re like retrain my brain to like hey this is the way that you have to ride with this bike and i think once i got used to that then i'd be fine but um who knows I mean, you know i haven't ridden that bike i wanted to ride that bike you know, and I've also wanted to ride the uh, the high tower as well. The Ripmo too, yeah. The, I think the Ripmo would be another one to go to try out. I mean, at the end of the day, if you got all these like pro riders that obviously know how to ride bike a little fucking better than me, um, saying like like t drinking the juice, then there must be something to it. You know what I mean? So it can't just be like I'm obviously more skilled in my freaking biking, you know, a taste than they are. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not just uh, Kool Aid. They uh, they've definitely not just pivot, but you know the new specialized uh, Stumpy on the shorter end of it, the Stumpy Evo. Mm -hmm. um, they're just weapons now, dude. They they've gotten so good now with the setup geo of these bikes. They're really really capable. Um, and you do have to ride them a little bit differently, but what's great is that they're so much better balanced nowadays. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah. before they were kind of unwieldy. Um, you know, now it's like, okay, what now everybody's playing with the longer reach and uh, setups and slacker head tube angles on wider ranges of travel. And it just makes the 29er wheel format just so capable. Um, and, and that's what I'm enjoying about it right now is that I just feel very stable and can plow through anything, but it's also snappy enough that I'm not getting, you know, lost in corners or mm -hmm. twisty stuff. I think that um, just the way that the geometries of the bikes have, have evolved over time, it's just like making everybody faster and faster and faster. And I, the only thing I worry about with like the bigger wheels is like we're just making the trails tamer so then we just need to make the then we're going to be on to like like make the trails more wicked and it's like i don't know like do, do you see what i'm getting at it's like then we're going to need like we're going to make the trails so stupid that you can't ride them on 29ers we're like oh we need a 36 so we can go faster and then we get a 36 and we're gonna be like oh shit this is just like it's flat and now we're you know it's just gonna it's like this perpetual thing next thing you know we're gonna be on a What's that thing called? A freaking uh, uh, penny. We're going to be on like penny farthings and, you know, fucking 54 inch wheel in the front. And <laughs> yeah. no, I, it's, it's definitely an evolution of, of the sport, but I kind of look at, take Downeyville, for example, and Downeyville used to be raced on hardtails. Right. And, and look at it now. Like, could you do it? Sure. If you, you're masochistic and you hate yourself or something, I mean, that just, <laughs> you could do it. but why? Like just that's wrong. Right. Um, but what the bikes have allowed us to do for trails like that is, I don't know, up the fun factor. I mean, you're flying over shit 
and yeah. you're just carving things and your bike's holding up. You're not breaking rims or handlebars or frames as much as you used to because yeah, of how I well they're being made. I think I think I can I can give you that one for sure. I mean you're definitely it does seem to me like like the um like the bikes are lasting better, you know, like maybe yeah. and, and 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 I mean that's a good thing. The the other thing that I was getting at with that though too was uh um the uh the speed that you're going, you know, is like I feel like everybody's getting faster and faster in that terms. And uh um because of that, is there any changes as far as what you guys are designing to like that? That is like kind of drawing attention that way. Oh man, you're good at segways. Because uh, I mean, like this is the deal, dude. Like, like originally it would be like you wore a downhill helmet when you were going to go twenty five or thirty yeah. miles an hour, and now it's like you're doing that on the regular. So, how do you do no, that I mean, with with a half shell? You know. Exactly. I mean, you're right. Like the uh, the big question of um you know what level of protection you know a lot of people it's like well how fast are you going and what are you comfortable with and you're right these bikes like this thing it's got a warp speed button on it i just haven't figured out where it is but it keeps keep seeing like, everywhere um and you're right all bikes are getting faster in that regard they're more capable which is nuts like imagine doing downeyville on a um a live shock setup in, yeah. in, in like another year or two like uh, from Fox like that would be insane to basically have sports car level suspension and adjustment happening on the fly You're gonna fly down the mountain. I, I saw you're something gonna... online about that that things like making like so those of you guys that don't know what he's talking about That Fox yeah, has this new, new shock yeah. out that is basically like it, it's it's electronically freaking taking like a thousand samples a second and retuning the shock as you're riding to meet what you're riding it on yeah. Is that is that is that a pretty accurate description? I, I think that's about what I read. Yeah. What I had read. Yeah, it it basically controls how open or shut the uh, the the valve is. So you still set up the shock like you would for your rider weight and your air pressure and rebound and 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 whatnot. But then it it controls the um the open and closing of the valve and yeah, thousands of us are. Yeah, of a something second. Like that. yeah, I think it's like a thousand times a second. I, I just remember so, it was just like a freaking insane number. <clears throat> think about it this way. Um, we, we've now got shocks that are, you know, they're pretty good open on, with climbing. Actually, they've gotten a lot better open. But then you still want to do, a, a, you know, a climb and you have to shut the valve or shut the lever, right? You know, reach down, flip the lever and you're in climb or in your platform mode. Just imagine your bike doing that for you all the time on any surface, on any terrain. So right. one, you're not having to reach down and do anything with it. And two, it's detecting both pitch and, you know, how high yeah. of the incline far down and adjusting it on the fly. And, and so it's just, you pedal, like you don't have to think you just pedal and the bike soaks it up. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's, Actually, the first thing that um, I've talked to a couple of editors who have ridden it, I have not yet, but they said this is the first piece of like advancement in mountain bike technology that was really, truly a different experience. Mm -hmm. you know, they, they say riding an e-bike is, is cool. 
it, it, it definitely changes the, the way you ride and what is capable. And that's been the buzz in the mountain bike world, at least uh, in, in what we're talking about. But this suspension shock design uh, that Fox has is really cool because it really changes the way your bike rides. It puts the shock in its best performing setting at, at any time with your bike. So if you have a bitchin' bike that has a great uh, suspension geometry and dynamics, this just now takes all the guesswork out of the settings and just make it better. So like, I, I wish yeah. those guys at Fox would go fucking over to SRAM and Shimano and box and whoever else makes fucking rear derailers and just, just, just be like, Hey guys, here's a secret. Start thinking like this because I like, I listened to you talk about that and I'm like, that's great. I mean, I really love my suspension and I would love it to be better, but I'd really like to get rid of the fucking derailleur because I, I think it's just, I just think it's stupid. Richard to bring Richard up again. He, he made a he he made a quote one time. And I think it was beautiful. He's like, it's like having your balls on your ankle and walking through a lot like a rock minefield. You know, like it, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you do that? You know, and like, why is it that we we don't ha like? Why is this thing still hanging down, seeing how close it can get to the ground where we're riding through all these rocks? You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and it's it's just where the technology is if you really look at the bike industry there's only you know three big players when it comes to drivetrains two really to be perfectly honest mm -hmm. and there's not been enough development in in drivetrain tech yet to change that right you know, so the derailleur and chain system is still the best thing but if you look at like um uh, Nikolai bikes out of Germany. Um, they're a, a small custom fab shop, and they've been running um, uh, uh, the belt drive opinion? systems. Oh, the belt drive. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. They're they're using like the roll off hubs or something like that. Well, they used to do that, and then they're now on pinions, and so like that's the next best effort for that yeah. kind of system. It's and they're getting smaller, but the loss in efficiency as far as like drag and and just overall functionality it, it's it's not there yet but it's because it's a small market um yeah. e the e-bike motors are going to help that though yeah i, I mean i don't know if that's if that's the answer uh, all i know is the answer is it doesn't make any sense we're still using a derailleur you, you know what i mean that that's all that's all i can predict i can't predict it any further than that but i mean i i think that the um I did ride one of the zeroed bikes that that has yeah. that, that pinion in it. And, and I will tell you, I've never felt that confident in the corner in my entire life because of that weight being there right in the bottom and the middle of the bike. It, it just, it keeps yeah. the thing like, it, it just is like riding on Velcro, you know? And, and then, you know, it still was nimble. And that bike that I was riding was like a 35 pound bike or a 36 pound. I can't yeah. remember. It was like 30. It was heavy. But compared think, to my my Bronson, I still couldn't tell when I was riding it. Yeah, well, and you think about it, like when you get really geeky on on pinion systems or or drive um, like drive uh, integrated drive systems, um, the the added benefit is now that you have even less weight and uh, on your rear wheel and on your swing arm. So you don't have a derailleur, you don't have a, a cassette, you don't have to deal with a really large cassette system, you just need to hold a cog. Um, you could lighten and optimize that rear wheel then, you know, widen yeah. the stance of the, uh, the, the spokes and everything else and create an even stronger wheel. 
and then move all that complication to the center of the bike where the drivetrain is. So I do think there's going to be a, a, a <clears throat> evolution of those systems, but they're not they're not in demand enough yet, and the big guys haven't decided to really take that on and say, okay, here you go, here's your uh, geared system, and and go and make it make your bike yeah. around it. I'm doing that with e-bikes, but that's because it's an easier buy-in, I think, right now. Right, the populace right. is more receptive towards it. Um, right. But yeah, I think I think it's a matter it, of you know, it's just a matter of time, and and I think yeah. you know. One of those those companies builds a badass bike, and and somebody like one of your riders, like you know Nikolai, that that gets out there and just freaking like podiums the shit out of something on one of those bikes, and all of a sudden people start looking at it, you know? Yeah, I mean for this it would be um, enduro racing, like that yeah. that would be really where I would see um, a system like that benefiting um, that demographic, and it would take a racer's perspective on it to develop it because. Um, there are existing pinion systems, but they're not efficient or enough for racing as far as how optimized yeah. they are. You know, I think but, the thing is that that's funny too. I mean, I think the companies like Shimano and SRAM, like I, I they have the R and D money to spend in that, or they should, or they you you would you would expect them to maybe more so than a new company coming out. And trying to do all that R and D, and really not going to have any return for quite some time. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's companies like Pinion that are taking it on because nobody else will right now. Right. Um, right. I mean, you got to have a Tesla in the room, right? Yeah. What's that? It, it's like a Tesla. You know, it's like somebody has to go out and spend all the money because nobody else is going to yeah. do it. Because they're like, hey, we're still making money over here. Why hell we need to do that? You know. Exactly. Now that I mean, you, you think about. I think the biggest complaint that I've heard about. Uh, gearbox systems like the pinion is it's degrees of engagement um and so like it's not as direct as um as a regular cassette is and especially since now we've got uh i9 is doing a five or six pulse system that's like every six or three degrees of engagement yeah. so it's yeah. like wow that's near instant engagement and then you're going to a Opinion system that has a lot of slop in it. I know, think Project so. Three Two One has more engagement than that new i nine. That could be true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's like two hundred and sixteen points of engagement on their new one. I think he said it was like one and a half degrees or something like that. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And, 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 and essentially, it's like what you said, though. It's like always engaged. It's almost never not engaged. You know. Yeah. The only two players that I know that are out in the market with instant engagement hubs are Stealth uh old school bmx and and mountain bike company and then onyx is really also bigger in bmx but they're making more and more offerings for uh for bikes and um yeah just imagine anytime you move your pedal forward basically it, it it's engaged um yeah. you can really kind of like stutter pedal over rocky sections really well uh, with that because you have that instant engagement yeah and so, i think onyx is th their big problem from what i knew in the past was that they were heavy and i think they're yeah, starting to get their off. weight down now too yeah it's it's but it's still a lot of metal and a complex um uh power transfer system compared to a pulse system yeah you know it's it's, it's a challenging um uh thing to change and design into and keep it there is, is like a, a complete like kind of like a gear kind of system in there instead of a pulse system right sprag clutch i think is what yeah, it's yeah, called that's what it is. Yeah. i knew it was something like that you, 
Yeah, the minute that you uh, deliver forward uh, torque to the cassette hub, it and I don't really know how, but it basically engages the uh, this um, bearing s system that grabs the axle and spins the wheel forward. So, it, it and it happens almost instantly. So that's yeah, why yeah. it's great for BMX guys who want to deliver max power right away and get get it right to the wheel. So. So yeah. somehow we got way the fuck off topic. Originally, yeah. I was asking you about if we were, yeah. what was the deal with the helmets and uh, and are you like up in your helmet game? And I think part of the reason I asked that is I watched this YouTube video the other day that this uh, motorcycle company, I think they're out of out of uh, Canada, did. And they were basically just talking about how Dot is like a complete joke. And it was like something that was like formed a really long time ago. And the standards are really have nothing to do with like, what we should be paying attention to, but it's just something that people are like, Oh yeah, dot, it's great. You know? And so I, that's what kind of like led me to think about, okay, we're going faster. So is that changing? I, I would imagine that you guys are probably holding yourself to some kind of standard that may not even be a like quote unquote standard yet. Yeah. Um, so kind of hit on a couple different things there. Um, we are riding faster on these bikes more often. You know, that's what's so great about them that we just geeked out about how just you fly down the mountain so much more easily now and with perceived control. But when you lose it, it's a lot higher consequence. <laughs> perceived control. That's beautiful. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to oh, talk oh. about that next time I ride. I'm definitely oh. perceiving control. There is definitely no control there, though. <laughs> no, no. My bike is definitely smarter at, at, at riding than I am. It's just the idiot who's on top of it is pointing it in the wrong direction. Right. No, I it's, hear you. it's definitely. But um, so what we're doing is we still, at least in the bike world, to stick on that one for a minute before addressing DOT, uh, we still have that CPSC standard, that 300 Gs, that your worst case scenario is. Um, we're building in below that and then offering more options for you to feel more secure. So what we're working on, and it's taken us longer than we wanted to, is a more breathable full face. You've seen them from Fox and uh, with the Pro Frame, and then you see the new um, Troy Lee Stage. Uh, there's, and you know the Met Parachute was out there for a long time before that, and then even the old um, Switchblade from from Giro. Um, I um I, I rode with the the Bell Mips DH um, full face the other day. That was actually what I rode yesterday on that. That was the first time that I've ridden the helmet, um, and. Uh, holy shit you can you know, like you can breathe in that thing just like like you're it doesn't feel like you have a full face on at all so like, so that's what what we're going after and, and companies like bell kind of found just the right format and package to deliver that in at least to, to carve out this new breathable niche. full face market. yeah 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 that niche and and after that you saw like um Still in the full face world, but like the IXS Zolt was claiming a really ventilated full face, but it's still a really big, bulky thing and it doesn't breathe that well. We want to get down to that everyday rider who, you know, wants to go shred Auburn from his door and would love to send it over um, any jump or any rock garden that he sees and not worry about his dental bill, you know, if he screws up. And so we're working on a breathable full face too. And that's where we see with everybody riding faster uh, or being on bikes that can ride faster is making a helmet lighter and more breathable and smaller, but still meet that worst case scenario standard. So one of those helmets that's 
Um, well, we've been working on it. You can actually uh, go search for it um, as far as some spy photos. But uh, we've got a full face, uh, breathable full face in the works. Uh, we call it, well, you'll, you'll see it. Um, you'll see it soon enough. Right on. Yeah, you'll see yeah, it. You, you don't have to let the cat out of the bag, but I'm sure we wouldn't freaking mind hearing about it. <laughs> well, and, and that's, the, it's, it's our take on the pro frame and the stage. And, yeah. and so, but what I can tell you is, is that whereas like the Fox still looks like a full face, the pro frame still looks like a regular full face that's just been hogged out. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you've got the stage, which is a little more shapely, just like any Troy Lee that you'd expect. It's got that mm -hmm. style, um, but it's a little more breathable. It looks like it's there. You say that the um, Bell Super DH is even more breathable. We're going for our interceptor level of breathability. So basically think of a full-blown race XC style helmet or roadie helmet, but right. with a chin. Like we, we want to basically make you feel like you're just you got a, a a little extra protection in front of you so no sacrifice from uh from breathability or channeling or venting right. but it will pass the dh standard for the chin bar that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it's meant for full-blown downhill runs or a day at the park um but it's meant to it's meant to keep you from busting your fucking teeth out when you think you're you're a little better than than you are that's basically what you're well, getting at, right? You know? Yeah. I mean, and not to pick on a competitor, but they actually fixed this in the, uh, in subsequent years. But the first Super, um, uh, the first Bell Super R with the removable chin bar. Mm -hmm. Great concept. That chin bar was really flexy. And in fact, you can go back and look at their own testing videos that they used for their marketing. And you could see the chin bar tapping the dummy's face. Mm -hmm. And um, what that was meant was more of a rash guard. And in subsequent years, they actually reinforced it to be stiffer so that it didn't have that compression. So mm -hmm. we don't want the team bar to smack you in the face. We want the helmet to, to transfer that load around your head um, and, and somewhere else. So the DH sand standard for ASTM for the tin bar is what we'll adhere to, uh, to just say it's a minimum level of protection uh, mm -hmm. for us. Uh, but it's meant to be an everyday kind of riding helmet, you know, leave your door, go climb for an hour or so, um, mm -hmm. and then you know, shred trail the gnarliest stuff you can with the confidence that you've got a little bit extra if you get a little too rowdy. Yeah, I mean, it totally makes sense. And I, I think I had a conversation with you about this, maybe it was six months ago or something like that, where it was like, you want that little bit of extra like protection, but you don't necessarily feel like you need to ride a whole, whole DH helmet, you know, and you want yeah, it to be like super light. You want it to be super breathable. And basically you're like, I want to, I want my cake and I want to eat it too, you know, make it happen. <laughs> yeah. The cool thing is, is that it's taken a couple tries, but not only have companies, including Cali work to, to train, change our aesthetic, but we're also using new technologies and we're, we're able to um, in mold or, or use new materials that allow these designs to happen. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so that for us, that integrated chin bar is what we want to go with. Um, the removable styles, I'll be honest, I've rarely seen people who actually have either a, a Giro Switchblade or a Bell Super, you know, carry the chin bar around for 
the rides here in Santa Cruz for Highway 9. Uh -huh. Like, those are gnarly enough to where you could use a full face. You choose not to because the runs are only like a minute, you know, and then you got to right. climb, or and a half, and you got to climb again. So we don't want to have any complicated latch systems or anything around your head that's more metal, more places to fail. So we're going after that integrated chin bar. Um, and, and because of that, that chin bar can act um, in conjunction with the rest of the helmet shell to dissipate that energy rather than relying on those anchor points for where it's attached. Yeah, I think whenever I, I talked to Brad about this, I, I think basically, I mean, he, he summed it up as, I don't think it's as safe. So I don't want to do that. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, I mean, it serves a purpose in a niche and people like it. Um, I, I know that he said that of the systems that we've seen, the bell system with the wraparound is the best because that's it's the best chance for that chin bar to transfer energy around you. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just not a safe. It's introducing a weak point just for a matter of convenience and not for safety. And Cali will always put safety ahead of um, fashion and style. Yeah, yeah. Don't look at it. Um, yeah. I think but, that's uh, really, really, that, that, that's funny that you say that. Um, I think you know we're we're talking about you know having having uh, crashes and, and whatnot, and I want to make sure that we bring this up about you because actually one of the people that's on the on the uh, the live chat right now was saying that there are helmets at your at your your uh, facility right now because they are using or they were doing the helmet replacement program. So. Um, for those of you that don't know, Cali actually has a helmet replacement program. I'll let Patrick talk about it, but that was one of the things that really surprised me when I went down there that you have not a 50% crash replacement, not a 60% crash replacement, like a full replacement, like go crash your helmet. And there's requirements that I'll let, I'll let Patrick, I'll let Pat, oh, go ahead. Tell us about that, Patrick. Yeah, let's pitch the marketing guy uh, right here. All right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so Brad has all Brad, founder of Cali, and our lead engineer. Um, one, he cares about every rider who crashes, whether it's in our helmet or not. But those who do crash in our helmets and have, since he founded the company, have shared their stories um, or said, "Hey, I had a bad crash," or "Thanks," you know. Um, he will ask for pictures of the helmet, and if the person's willing um to send it in he would send him a new helmet just so that he could get the helmet back and and examine it and he figured pay it forward and get the person rolling again you know um so he's always done that under the radar and we've, we've had an official crash replacement policy but it was always loose and we ran it through shops but in um 2016 we kind of legitimized it because we realized that it was really a cool thing that we were doing, um, both for the rider as well as for Cali. So we implemented our lifetime crash replacement program. And what that was, or what it is, is basically if you bought a, a bike helmet from Cali, you can register it, ride it, and for the life of the helmet, if you have a crash, you can file your uh, a claim and we'll have you send it in and, and then you can get a new helmet for the cost of shipping. That's the only thing, but you won't have to pay for the helmet. You just have to pay for us to send it to you. And so, shipping is, is $600. Something <laughs> like that. Uh, I mean, we keep it as reasonable as we can. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, we run it through our 
in the US we run it through our, our shopping cart. And I think if you're buying uh, or if you do UPS, it might be 10 bucks to 12 bucks. And if you do postal service, it's six or something. Right. Um, so I think that's still better than buying a new helmet because I know I've bought a handful of new ones and I was never happy about it. Once I bought a helmet and it was like three rides later, I freaking broken up the, the one I just bought. And I was like, oh man, I was so livid. And it's like, I'm not one of those people that like has absolutely no moral value. I couldn't like take it back to the store and be like, what the hell, man? It's defective. You know, I was like, dude, you, you ate shit. It's your, you, you gotta, you gotta yeah, pay your play. You know? I mean, people, other companies have tried to do certain things like I think, um, and, and other companies have done crash replacement programs. Uh, one of them I can think of off the top of my head is like, I think Trek offers a first six months or maybe three months or something where just like that scenario is you only go out for a couple rides, they'll replace it. Yeah. But that's what's different about ours is we, we believe in getting these helmets back for additional examination and testing. Um, mm so much that we want to offer it for a customer who has it for the life of the helmet. Um, right. And that's, we don't want it to be like, Oh, three years later they have a crash and they're like, Oh, well I got to buy a new helmet. And some actually our, our distributors and retailers were initially kind of mad at us for making it an official policy because they thought it would be lost sales. Right, like, right. To them. They're like, what the hell, man, you just screwed us there. No, <clears> but <throat> it, what I think was, most of the shops who say that are maybe not leveraging their relationship with customers as much because even though we run this program directly out of Cali HQ um, nationwide, uh, if a store is willing to work with Cali and is already a Cali dealer, we will work with you to replace that helmet on the spot for the customer. Right. So uh, that would build value for their brand so that people yeah. would be like, Hey man, I bought this helmet over at, at Joe's bikes and freaking I wrecked in it and, and I came down there and they gave me a new one off the shelf and they dealt with Cali on the back end for me. That that's why I want to go over there and maybe I'll pay the extra 10% for what their parts cost compared to Amazon because Hey, they're, they're, they're doing me a service. So I totally see what you're saying. Yeah. I think on the I other mean, hand too, it's, it could be, you know, like a spike in sales as well, where I know whenever I first did your, the interview with Brad, I mean, there were some people on there that, that, that were like, dude, I'm going to buy a new helmet just cause these guys are legit, man. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. so, I mean, I, I think that's, uh, I, I think for me, it really like speaks to how you guys stand behind your product. And I think that, that that's awesome. You know, I just, I, I, I I've, seen so many other companies in my life that may not have anything even to do with biking at all but like to really stand behind your product in that manner where you're you know a hundred percent willing for the lifetime of, of the product like that just that just says something about what where you where you stand at you know and and then outside of that it just like as a consumer i mean <laughs> it's almost like getting a free product you know it's like you're like it's not an if with, with when you break your helmet, it's, it's more like a when, you know, well, so. And it's, it, this all has to do with Brad. Um, it, he, he wants riders to be, feel safe. Um, he will tell you, he will, Callie will never produce a helmet that he would not trust putting his kids in. You so, know, and I, I, I believe that about Brad. I mean, honestly, he just is a, 
he's just this really stand-up guy. I mean, honestly, out of out of, and I I told you this that when I was an interbike, I mean, out of all the the companies, and that's not like I'm some freaking world-renowned, you know, mountain bike expertise, you know, that that just you know has met everybody. But out of the companies that I've met, like he's just just a really stand-up guy, probably my my favorite that that I've met so far, you know. Yeah, and it's it's cool to see that and be a part of that kind of commitment to rider and rider safety. And, um, you know, so many times, and this was also a motivator for making this an official policy was where it kind of kicked off was 2016, uh, sea otter when we did the big helmet exchange there mm -hmm. where we let anybody walk up with any helmet and exchange it for a brand new Cali. But they what? had to give it. I didn't know you guys did that. That's freaking eloquent. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. So, so part of this started as a, as just a marketing gimmick to, to basically piss everybody off. I mean, right. it was, I mean, <laughs> it was, shake it, it was up, like, man. So you yeah, basically we're went like, down there with your line of helmets and was like, anybody show the fuck up here. I'll give you, I'll give you, you give me yours. I'll give you mine. Yeah. Yeah. So, so <laughs> it started, awesome. with, no, it was, it, it was, it was, Really, to just have everybody possible walking around in a Cali helmet over the course of those five days, right? Um, and or four days, and um, we really weren't sure about it. The brass was nervous as all hell because we didn't know if it was going to be fifty helmets or five hundred. It ended up being a thousand. Holy shit! That's a lot of helmets, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, we definitely pissed people off. Right. Uh, there were <laughs> everywhere. Um, but what happened was, is we didn't, we didn't just get the whole like, yeah, fuck you guys. Like, we, like what we really saw was in the helmets that were getting turned in, especially the first day or two when people really didn't believe it. No, by like the third or last day, you definitely knew that somebody had called their buddies and said like, all right, grab every helmet that you have in the garage and come down here stat. Right. <laughs> Get it real yeah. right now, dude. Yeah. Well, or they were, got one day one and they went back home, got their other shitty helmet and came back day two. And they're like, I'm fucking doing it again. But certain groups of people is like, they, they told one person and then a hundred people knew. So right. it was just, like wildfire but the first few days the first day or two was literally just people because we didn't promote it we didn't tell anybody we were doing it we showed up and just did it gorilla and started walking right. around looking for people who had kind of shady looking helmets right and what we saw though was was just how messed up helmets were that people were still riding like right. they we're like oh i i don't want to replace it why because helmets are expensive or right. i like one or whatever i had a guy with a full face whose visor had been broken off in a crash and he had a wood screw drilled into <laughs> his helmet and it was deep it was a, it was probably almost a oh, inch long screw and i was like how close is that to piercing through the styrofoam and hitting his head but he's got, he's no if, he is, <laughs> if he has like the the perfect crash, it's like, oh, why do you have this wood screw implanted in your forehead, dude? Yeah. Oh, well, I was trying to hold my visor on, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, it was better than that shitty plastic screw. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, we saw people with broken retention systems that were held together with uh, 
with either zip ties or one was even using safety pins to kind of guide the strap through the retention system because yeah. that part had broken. Helmets that were legitimately cracked and they were yeah. still riding it. We told people, we were like, you realize your helmet's been hit. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've gone down on that. And I'm like, but it's cracked right here. And people just didn't know and care. And, yeah. and so we wanted to break down that barrier. And after a while, we were just feeling good because it's like, look at all these crappy helmets that not crappy because they're somebody else's, yeah, but because, crappy because they've been beat up, beat the hell, right? Crap. And people right. were onto them because they were um, the perceived cost of their own safety. Yeah. So I think a lot of people... on, Go ahead. So coming around on, on Brad's, you know, uh, kindness was, this policy is meant to allow people who ride our helmets not worry about crashing. Like if you yeah. crash, we want you to be safe. We will replace that helmet. And yeah. it's it's been a good program. It, luckily, we've not had anybody really abuse it. And for those that take the time to learn about it, they're stoked on it. And we're stoked to have them. You know, we're, I mean, but, we're but ultimately, they can't really abuse it much. You know that the most abuse that they're going to do is is one crash, right? Because like you can't yeah. you can't replace the same helmet twice. Well, so actually, I mean, once you get that once you get that replacement helmet, that's is that covered then too? No. So um, at, when you crash your replaced helmet, uh, it is then a steep discount. And I'm sorry, I'm not remembering what it is right now, but it's I think it's definitely more than twenty five percent off. The replacement of that helmet so anytime you put money down on the helmet it resets the clock mm -hmm. so that's that's kind of the way we limit it and and that's tracked through some of the registration program that we have online um right. serial number and your name and email so um it's we're going to replace the helmet and we're going to help you get into even that replacement um mm -hmm. and that's when you put money down but we have not had that many people um yeah I have that imagine. many issues you know yeah they've been really good about it and people are surprised and stoked by it yeah i mean to me i was i was blown away i was like man i wish i would have known about you guys a long time ago because I, I definitely you know for a long time I, I i questioned why i was wearing a helmet you know because i was like man i've been riding a bike for like 15 years and i still haven't broken a helmet this is is this really worth it like all this freaking pain in the ass and then like the first time that I went down so hard, I didn't actually know that when people say you got your bell rung, that you like literally hear the sound of a bell like ringing until that day. And uh, like I hit the ground and it was like, Dung! and I, I swear to God, I sat up like I was like in the fucking cartoons and there was like stars circling around my head and shit, you know? Yep. And uh, and I was like, holy shit, man. I, and it was kind of like a side impact. Like I had gone over the handlebars, but it like, it's my head slammed into the side. And I was just like, holy shit, man. Like if I would have done that and say I was on a night ride or I was riding by myself or like didn't have a helmet on, like I, 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 or if I didn't have a helmet on and did that, like I, I could have just died right there, you know, like, okay, wearing this helmet's been worth it, you know? And then for whatever reason, maybe, you know, after that, I was like, my skill set was getting better or whatever. Maybe it was getting worse. But I mean, I, I've broken a few helmets since then. And um, and it's definitely, it, every time that it happens, you're holding this thing in your hand and you're thinking like, this thing definitely saved my life. And 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 uh, one of those helmets 
that I wrecked on, I took home and me and one of my buddies were, were having some beer and we were like, hey, this thing's fucking toast already. Let's like, let's hit it with this little baby, baby sledge and see like what it takes to break this thing apart. Yeah. That thing took some fucking abuse for us to break, man. And so that like, like made me feel like even more like, holy shit. Like if I'm hitting this thing with this sledgehammer this hard and it's stopping that, like, wow, I feel like so much safer wearing this thing now, you know, it's definitely worth it. No, it's, it's, you only have one brain and, and, your level of uh, protection is whatever you choose it to be. The good news right. is any, every helmet is certified to a minimum level of safety. That's that CPSC standard. Um, what you're gonna you're seeing from Cali is we're branching out from that, and uh, we're definitely pushing the envelope of what we can do to make that helmet safer and more durable, man. And I'm glad that you're wearing whatever helmet that was. Um, you know, and, and they are made to take some abuse, but they're also meant to be a one and done. I mean, any one of those sledgehammer hits would have been a dead, uh, you know, that made that helmet dead. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, it was it was it was already cracked at that point, you know, because yeah. otherwise I'm, I'm not just like, hey, I'm going to throw away one hundred and twenty dollars because I fucking I'm drunk. Wait a minute. I do that every That's time. A, I go, a real damn, problem, never man. mind. <laughs> I mean, but that kind of mentality is kind of a real problem of like, oh, I've spent. Two hundred dollars, or one hundred fifty dollars, or you know, right. three hundred dollars in some cases for some for helmets, and yeah. I'm not even half shells. And and people are like, oh, it's just a little crack. I, I don't want to fucking replace it. I spent all this money. If it's cracked, it's it's compromised, and hopefully, yeah. it, it when it was doing its job. I mean, you pack it in a bag wrong, and you kind of stupid, and you fucked up. But um, right. if you've cracked it, or you see a crack in your helmet please replace it. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's, that's the thing too, is a lot of guys, this is what I was going to say earlier, man. A lot of guys will take a little digger. They look at their helmet on the top and they're like, Oh yeah, I got some mud in there. A little grass pushed into the visor, brush that off. Nope. It's not dented. I'm good. And they never actually flip it over and look at the inside. And you're like, dude, you see this little thing that looks like a little, little hair right there and there and there and there and there like this whole thing like did exactly what it was supposed to do. It dissipated all the energy, all those places, and all those cracks are now weak points. So go ahead and try that same crash again. And that could be the one where, oh, I had a helmet on. I don't understand why I have brain damage. You know what I mean? Like to me, like you said earlier, you only have one brain. So I, I feel like as much as it hurts to go in and pay for another helmet, it's going to hurt a lot more when you're like freaking, you know, Chris Reeves in a, in a chair, like a quadriplegic cause you fucking didn't want to spend another hundred bucks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's also making sure that you examine your helmet from time to time and make sure that it's okay. You know, um, you just, you just gotta pay attention to it. It's of all the gear that we wear as a rider. I there's, I don't think there's anything more important than a helmet. Like you could get away or excuse away a lot of things, but a helmet is not one of them. And I know that seems biased coming from the marketing guy of a helmet company, but um, you can break an arm, you can break a leg, you can break your back, but you only got one head, dude. And once that's gone, that's that's it. So keep your replace your helmet often if you can. I mean, if you're an active rider, just make it a thing, you know. Um, but if you're a Cali rider and you do take a dinger, we'll replace it. Right on.
So you guys, you guys also started in, didn't you start in moto and then the bike kind of came later? Yeah. So, um, originally, um, Brad was working on, um, he had a carbon factory, he still does, uh, in China and they were making, uh, carbon fiber and fiber glass or tri-weave shells for, for motorcycle helmets for customers. And, um, he was looking at how these things were manufactured and being the tinkering engineer that he is, he was like, well, why aren't we in molding these? Cause the way a motorcycle helmet, um, or a full face, many full faces are made is the outer shell, whether that be plastic, ABS, fiberglass, carbon, um, is formed one or separately. And then the EPS liner on the inside is formed separately. And then the two are shoved together. Um, but that generates, uh, a, a additional air pockets and imperfections within the, the manufacturing process that can actually add more G's, uh, to your impact. Um, the way Brad got around that, he, figured out if you could fuse the shell and foam together, what we call composite fusion, um, and in-mold those, those two things, you can actually create a stronger and more efficient um, energy dissipation system, so a better performing helmet. Right, and at and, that point, like I think it was like you could make the outer shell smaller and cut some weight because of that, because you were actually molding them together. Yes, you could thin out the shell so that shell could then deform and dissipate the energy over the uh, a larger area of the helmet, which is better for energy dissipation. And then the foam itself could be made softer, but still pass the same level of protection. So being that he's also into motorcycles and he was already making motorcycle shells, he decided to take a crack at solving this problem of in-molding a full face, which nobody had done. And uh, it took him three years to do it, but um, he did. And we started making moto um, moto helmets to start, and then uh, street helmets. Uh, and that was where we were founded in uh, 2008. And uh, that's where the company started. And then I think it was in 2010 that they introduced bike. Uh, and, and then it took off um, right from there. Um, although... Moto we still have, and we have always maintained and to some degree. Uh, bike has just taken off more so for us. And um, But yeah, we started in moto with full faces. So somebody else just asked a great question, and um, they're asking, do, gen do helmets have a general lifespan? Is it like, you know, like a propane tank? It's got a stamp on it somewhere that says, hey, after 10 years, this is no good. Like foam's going to start breaking down or something like that. Is there is there something like that? So the industry has had a general practice of saying replace your helmet three, every three to five years. Um, part of that was marketing. Part of that was legal saving their butt. Um, part of that was a real thing. Like the, your EPS foam can degrade when exposed to extreme um, environments over periods of time. Uh, but so you mean the oven that is my garage is, is baking my help my gear? Uh, could be <laughs> depends on the heat. Um, no, literally, I've done, I've had we had this happen. Um, we had this exploded view of one of our bike helmets, the Maraca, and it sat in a plexiglass frame because we had all the pieces that we threw into this helmet, um, which is something like twenty different pieces uh, 
and uh, it was all suspended in this really cool display. But if it sat out in the heat and it literally baked the helmet to the point where the EPS foam started to expand again. Um, and although I couldn't tell you how much that changed the properties of the helmet, Brad said, yeah, once you see that on a helmet, you should, you should replace it. Like it's, it's not good for it. But as far as the standard goes, um, helmets.org released a study, uh, from a few years ago where they took helmets that had been manufactured over the last 25 years and tested them both new old stock and used, uh, against, uh, they put them through their testing standards again and tried to see how they performed. The general um, result of that was that helmets did not necessarily degrade with general use, right. um, typical use. So could a helmet bought 20, 15 years ago still be safe? Sure, for that standard, but I could say from being behind the curtain and we've gotten a lot better at molding foam and, and different designs and better protective protection systems designed into those shells. I would want a newer helmet simply because technology gets better. Nobody wants to use one of those old Motorola razors anymore. You know, right. they want to use a, an iPhone or a, a, you know, a touchscreen phone. Why? Because it's just better. Um, they're more functional for a wider range of things. So in that sense, is there a lifespan? No, not necessarily, but good practices re replace your helmet three to five years or whenever you feel like you, um, you may have damaged the helmet. Um, yeah. And if you're an active rider like yourself, I would say you would want to be replacing your helmet in that window simply because you're exposing it to mud, dirt, grease, body fluids, yeah. you know, all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I mean, there's, there's, a pretty, there's a pretty good chance that the way that I ride, that within three to five years, I'm going to take some kind of some kind of dinger to it anyway. So, yeah, I, I don't think any of my helmets are going to last that long anymore. Yeah, it, it's even the little hits like bashing it in, uh, like throwing it in your car, or or you know, the helmet falls from uh, from your handlebars. None of those things might necessarily, in a single instance, compromise that helmet. But over time, why not? You know, you should replace it. It's it's meant to wear out. We we've not gotten to the point yet where a helmet is endlessly usable. You know, we don't. That technology doesn't exist. Helmets are meant to be replaced right now. Um, within when they're when they've been um, compromised, and also just from the materials we use, it's good practice. So. so is there something that is like involved in the like R&D process where the helmet with the helmet where you're considering the helmet for more like concussion prevention or are you really trying to just do like the, the catastrophic kind of prevention or can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, so if you ever step outside of the United States, you'll find that there is well, a lot of other brands within the bike industry which is no surprise. We don't. We, there are brands that are here that other countries never see, and vice versa. But what you start to see is just the the plethora of brands of helmets. You know, you could, in theory, go over with a you know suitcase full of cash and go to a helmet manufacturer and open a biker helmet brand. You know, and um, and buy a shell and throw on your designs, kind of like bikes. Um, yeah. To a point, if all you're doing is looking to create 
helmets that you like to look at and meet a standard. Brad's, Brad and Callie is focused on R&D and trying to make better and better helmets. So although, take for example our Chakra, our $45 entry-level helmet. Um, it's a ventilated helmet with a visor on the, on the front of it. It's very unassuming. But, and, and we could have called it done as soon as it passed CPSC, uh, that three meter drop test and the 300 G's transferred to the head. Well, what Brad did with that helmet was, is when he was testing it, is he started to drop the foam density for the samples that he was impacting until he found out how soft, the softest foam he could put into that and still pass all of the tests. So in that sense, even though it's a single density foam helmet, just in molded, it's got the lowest density foam possible. Mm -hmm. We take that same mentality of making the safest helmet we can and apply it to every helmet within our line. And mm -hmm. so far as going towards the idea of, are you building a helmet towards concussion? We're always trying to prevent any amount of energy transfer to the head. And a concussion is just where you're, you damage your brain, basically. So we're trying to mitigate and slow the brain down and protect you from those impacts. Um, so CPSC is just that bare minimum level of protection. That's it. Like, you're going to live, but you're going to be a vegetable. You know, kind of <laughs> like Snell racing world. Right. Or for the motor world, you know. Um, Snell is an ex extremely hard um, test to pass, and it's – the helmets are just so hard and you the the only justification for it is that oh you're in motor racing you're going fast so you need this what in reality is is we need the spectrum we need to protect against those worst case scenarios and we need to protect against the little mundane hits because at lower speeds those helmets actually become um like having a just a metal cup on your head and getting hit with that um if yeah. it's too hard so um like some would say, do you need to change the standards? No, we don't need to change the standards right now. We need to get better at making helmets that address a wider range of impacts and use technology to our advantage to say, okay, CPSC is the standard, but we can do, um, we can we can actually provide protection through uh, through all these lower G forces as well. So we're always working towards that. If we can put softer stuff next to your head. Softer stuff is is going to dissipate energy better, and um, and make it as light as possible and as small as possible. Uh, so, in a rambling sense, that's how we address uh, helmet design: is not to meet a design standard and then make it safe. It's let's make this helmet for the customer we believe it to be, and make sure that the safety is taken care of, and then go into the design process. Right on, man. What is um what is is one of the things that surprised you the most about the industry that you're in now, like working with the helmet in the industry? Then, because if I remember correctly, you weren't in bike per se before you you worked for Cali, right? Uh, I was in the bike industry, but I was in um, uh, accessories and apparel. Right. So, so you weren't, weren't in the protective realm then. No, so no. What, what was the thing that whenever you first started where you were just like, holy shit, this is like, this, this opens oh, my yeah. eyes. So, so I, I got my start in the bike industry behind the curtain working for Lazine, and that's um, accessories, pumps, multi-tools. Right. The, the design and production cycle for that stuff 
is really short. Like it's not hard and, and not, doesn't take a lot of time to make a multi-tool or a hand pump or tire levers or all this other stuff. It's fairly quick. Um, but helmets require a, just a massive amount of, uh, of, of investment um, and time. It takes a minimum of two years. On a fast track, you can design and test and certify and, and put into production a helmet no sooner than two years is how long wow. it takes. So, so like whatever anybody's working on right now, like if you had a great idea today that was just going to change the market, you still got two years ahead of you before you can get that out exactly. to the public. Well, I'm looking at new products with Brad and, and the first time that he did this, he's like showing me new sketches and stuff. I was like, Oh my God, this is rad. When can we get it? He's like 2020, 2022, <laughs> you know, you're like, don't show the marketing guy this shit, dude. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's good because I like. That's also one of the cool things about how small Cali is, is that I get to not only do my marketing thing, but I also get to see and interact with the the product development side and work with Brad and see what he does. But um, it's definitely what it definitely was the molding process and how challenging it is because um, a helmet mold, like. Kind of like bikes, or like carbon fiber bikes, for example. They're made one one by one. Like you look at carbon fiber bikes, and you think that they might be made by machine, and it's all hand laid, and it's one mold per size, um, and and it, that's it. Like, and helmets are the same way. We spend here's I mean the helmet mold is super com uh, complex. Take your helmet and imagine a steel cube about two feet across or two feet square all around it, like that's the size of a helmet mold. All metal, it's expensive. So yeah. time to make that and the time to get to design the helmet and bring it up to rapid prototyping, um, SLA, and then commit to actually cutting metal, um, it's that time. And then the certification process after that. And we have to do it per size. So it's not like we make one helmet, you know, we make a small medium and call it good. If we make a, 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 a size range of three, five different shells, we have to test all of them and make all of them. Mm -hmm. And that was what really slowed me down. I was like, wow, we, it's not that quick. You know, it's, yeah. it's actually longer than I thought. Uh, so so you don't manufacture your helmets like in your, your facility that you have here in Northern California. You actually get them no. made somewhere else, right? Yeah, we work with uh, um, one of the largest uh, just helmet manufacturer uh, for, uh, factories in China. So uh, basically, they, I'm making the assumption that that's kind of the similar situation as bikes then, too. It's like yeah. there's a couple of factories that probably make everybody's stuff, and it's just a matter of you working with them to make sure that your product is built to the specifications that you want. True, except for I would say that the added complexity and just kind of the size requirements of helmet manufacturing. I mean, it's just, there's just a lot of equipment and space needed. And then it's not the cleanest um, manufacturing process. I mean, we're, our company, or not our company, but the factory is, um, is as conscious as they can be for the materials that we're using. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and for the 
prices that we're getting them, we can only manufacture in Asia right now. Uh, mm -hmm. There's not a lot of places that can produce helmets that are made to the level and complexity that we and other companies within the bike industry design to. I think one of the things when I was talking to um, Knight that he said that really kind of rang to me as well was he was like, look, here you have a workforce that is like highly experienced at, at this process. So, and in his case, he's talking about, you know, laying carbon, but I think it would fall, fall to the same. It's like, you don't necessarily have a workforce that's been doing this for like a very long time here in the U S that's also extremely affordable. So it's like, yeah, you can start this in the U S but you're going to have a really long time to bring all those people up to speed and you're still not going to have the experience of some people that have been doing it for 30 years, you know? So, so like why, like it doesn't necessarily make sense. <clears throat> yeah, you just don't have the, um, the infrastructure behind it. I mean, yeah. could it be done? Sure. But the helmet would probably cost four times as much. I mean, right. Like it's just, you, and we you, already you know gotta, people aren't going to replace their helmet when they're crashing it half the time anyway, over a hundred bucks. So you tell them, Hey, let's buy this one now for 600. It's just not going to happen. So yeah, <laughs> it, it's just, that's where the manufacturing is. Um, China and the industry got behind manufacturing over there for that. And, and we don't have a path to bringing manufacturing back to the U S for, uh, for helmets at least like, yeah. um, they're also experts. Like the factory actually, um, uh, all, all helmet manufacturers are like this. Like we design our helmet and we do, um, as much testing digitally, like in the computer as we can. Um, mm -hmm. but then we still have to rely on the factory's expertise to help us transition that to an actual manufactured product. And right. there's a whole workflow behind that, that, the factory is um, assisting us and other brands on, like Box, for example. Their designers, they make the shell, do, do all the stuff, but they still have to work closely with the factory to make sure that not only does their design, or the factory makes the design that Fox wants, but that Fox makes a design that is safe, repeatable, and um, engineered properly for production. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's a symbiotic relationship in that respect. So you guys have a, also, um, I'm going to change gears a little bit again. You guys have a handful of uh, pro riders that you have uh, uh, that are like sponsored as well. Yeah. I think who, um, who you got have Nikol, Nikolai, I always screw up his last name. Is it like yeah. Redatkin or something like that? Yeah, um, He He's been probably one of our longest standing riders. I think we picked him up when he was like 13. Um, and really early within, I think as soon as Cali was making helmets, so probably... Well, it was before my time, so probably around 2012 or earlier. And um, he's probably our highest profile athlete that we have. Um, and, uh, you know, he's the king of spin and uh, king of crankworks. And um, right now, well, not king of crankworks. He's the triple crown winner. Um, Nikolai is definitely one of those riders who uh, we are happy to have in one of our helmets, not just because he's on top of the world right now, but um, – you know, it's he does some really aggressive stuff, and we're really we really believe in our our products and our helmets, and we're glad that he's wearing them. Um, his rampage. There's a, there, there, there's a video on your your website that you showed me of him just taking this like 
gnarly spell. Was it like Rampage or something like that? That he just like rolls down the side of this fucking mountain. And when you see like the POV footage of it, you're like, oh, that's not that bad. And then you see the the freaking video shot from like the helicopter and you watch him like roll down the side of this fucking mountain. You're like, holy shit. And somebody told me the other day when I was talking, I think it was when I was talking to you guys up at Interbike, that after that, that he got up and then he like immediately sent like this like 80 foot gap, like 27 seconds later, like just got up, walked away from it and, and just like, boom, right back at it. Like, like full animal style. Yep. Um, that was Rampage 2015. Uh, the one and only time that Nikolai uh, competed in Rampage. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny. We, we joke that we would have loved to see him win, but we've probably gotten more value out of him uh, crashing um, <laughs> than, than anything else. And it's not just because, hey, we're selling helmets, but right. it was spectacular crash i mean he he, he looks he, like a rag doll just being chucked oh, yeah. off the side oh, of a cliff man he's like just the, like whoop, 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 you know head over tea, what do they call it head over teacups or something teacups? i don't know what the yeah, that is. Over tea there um, you go thank so, you <laughs> uh, he fell 30 feet like straight down you know it was it was the i think it still is the gnarliest or the biggest crash in the sense of like distance fallen and he free fell like Nothing was there to catch him. It wasn't like he was catching part of the ridge side going down. Um, and yeah, he luckily got was it was conscious. Um, said he wasn't concussed and uh, got up, straightened himself out, and then cleared the seventy-three or seventy-five foot canyon gap right after that, um, and then finished his run. Yeah, right. um, and then we got the helmet back because that crash was actually kind of where we prove to ourselves and the world um, the the validity, the, excuse me, the validity, I can't say it. We basically validity. proved our, our LDL <laughs> yeah. stuff worked. Yeah, because yeah, was, that was, that was a, 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 um, a test model that you guys had just given him with the LDL on it, right? Yeah, we had rushed that helmet. Brad hand laid the LDL strips inside of it, sent it off to the printer or the painter, and uh, then it, arrived uh, uh, in time for Nikolai to wear it for Rampage. And then here's the really cool part. Um, we had done testing in the lab with the Shiva, uh, which is the helmet that Nikolai was wearing, um, uh, with the Imperial College of London. And it actually, we based all of our testing off of it. We said that 30% of uh, low G forces or subconcussive forces were reduced um, and then rotational forces were reduced by 25%. Okay, cool. Those are numbers. They don't mean anything, right? That's all done right. in the lab. Well, we were able to get the helmet back and get access to, well, we didn't, but the, the, um, the lab got access to the Red Bull footage and used the slow-mo and, and tracked the, his fall and calculated, basically, they did a crash recreation. Mm-hmm. And they calculated like what's going on. Yeah. And then we repositioned the test rig to um, basically um, recreate that crash and that impact. And we tested uh, what it was with a regular Shiva and then a Shiva with LDL. And 
it actually correlated with our findings. It actually um, took him from an 80% chance of having a uh, concussion in possible brain trauma um, down to like 60%. Oh, wow. And although that's still high, like that was a significant margin. That could have been the difference of him being conscious on his, when he fell or being totally knocked out. Entirely. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that's a huge difference. I mean, one way or another, I mean, it's it's definitely, um, it's safer. You can't argue that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's enhanced safety. Um, right. I mean, I can never say for lovely legal reasons that our helmets are safer or safer than anybody else's, uh, but we definitely try to put as much into the helmet as we can. But kind of back to what's cool about Nikolai's crash is that it was a proof of our research like we mm -hmm. had proven in the lab that it did its job the way we tested it but we had never gone back and compared it to a real world crash right. and, and so that was what was really cool and i can't really say that a lot of people have done um with the actual helmet that a rider rode and and recreated right. in the lab uh, like so, so backwards from it and like re like reverse engineer from from the actual crash itself and that really solidified for us that we were on to something. I mean, we were always, we always had faith in that we were putting softer stuff next to the rider's head. This was just one of those nice, confident building moments where it's like, yeah, the numbers actually pan out, you know? Yeah. And it definitely has to feel good. I mean, that's one of those moments where you, you know, get a chance to pat yourself on the back. And I know anytime that that's happening in my life, it definitely feels, feels like, Hey man, I'm doing something right. You know? Yeah. And, and that's the hard part with, rotational impact uh, or rotational uh, impact forces and like the stuff that MIPS is going after, there's no standard there. Um, we're all trying to create technology and, and features and things to enhance the safety of our helmet. But beyond the, the linear impact test that the government requires, it's kind of up in the air and, that's both a good and bad thing. It makes it good that we get to try new things. It's bad in that everybody can get really cynical really fast or, uh, and, and it's hard to take seriously when it comes to protective gear. You know, with bikes, you can say, oh, every year they get 20% lighter and 20% more rigid and more compliant and all this other stuff. 20% more expensive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but with helmets, it's kind of like a... Uh, we're, 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 we're trying to make a better mousetrap, um, right. but there's no measure for it right now. What, what's really cool though is behind the scenes, Brad is talking to all these people. So in a sense, Callie is talking with Troy Lee. Uh, as far as like, we, we share our knowledge in the sense of what we learn. Well, yeah, I know so, when I talked to Brad, he said, I'll tell anybody how I do it because I, I oh, just yeah. want to see everybody make, make a safe helmet. So. He's like, I don't really care. You guys want to, anybody wants to come over here and, and learn how to do what I'm doing. I'll show you, you know, like yeah. he's like, like, to, and that was, the, those are the kind of things that Brad says that tells you, like, he's not bullshitting that he really just gives a shit about people's safety. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I, I, I really feel like it, it would like, like, I, I just, he's, he's genuine. That's the best I can say. You know, he's just very genuine yeah. guy. And, and I, I had said this in my video in Outer Bike, and I don't think that, uh, I don't know if everybody saw that video or not, but like one of the things that just shows that, like to me, like those things, you know, when 
sometimes you do things and you're not necessarily doing them because you think somebody's watching, but somebody's watching that and and they're like they're like, oh wow, look at this guy, I really like that, you know. And and that's the kind of thing that I'm about to explain with Brad was that he wasn't he wasn't doing this for attention. Some guy walks by in one of your helmets that's like ten years old, and he like goes and and grabs one of his brand new ones and walks up to the dude and he's like, hey, let me switch with you. You know, he's just like stoked to see that helmet that was like super old. It was like, it was like seeing one of his kids again, you know, and he was like, oh my God, I got to get this thing from this dude. And I want this dude to have our new helmet because it's so much better than her old one was, you know, and I just remember, I forget which marketing guy was standing next to him. I had said something to him about it. He's like, that's Brad. He just does that stuff. You know? <laughs> it's And it's, it's something that's, rubbed off on uh, on me and and I'll be honest I've I've done that a couple times and it is just the way Cali is like I've seen people and uh, who've had busted up helmets and I've literally stopped them they're not a part of the group I'm riding in in Santa Cruz or wherever and if it's bad enough or if it's whatever you know the timing's right I'll walk over like dude let me help you out here like your helmet is not cool I'll give you this one if you just ride that and not ride the yeah. up one that got. Um, that is definitely um, that is definitely Brad and he is definitely about uh, making a better product not for money but to make a better uh, piece of safety gear yeah uh, and the cool thing is is that he because he's the owner of Cali and the lead engineer we don't have the corporate like conference room investors oversight that says you need to be making this or that like brad's making the helmets that he wants and believes in and um it's always the cooler projects the the you know the top tier stuff that he's working on that are are usually the coolest ones with the newest tech because they're most expensive but it ex it extends to everything we make yeah. um, with helmets and it is. He he will not. I, the fact that he will not sell a product that he would not put his own kids in is, frankly, the only thing that I really needed to hear when considering even my employment at Cali, let alone riding one of their helmets for years before, was knowing that this isn't just some guy putting out a design to make money. It's he's, he wants to make some money, but he also thinks that he can actually make a better product. And he's yeah. doing it. That's a hell of a culture to have, man. You know, I, I, I'm not lying to you, like where it makes me envious of the company that you work for just because of that. I mean, it's just to have that that kind of culture that you're going to work at every day. It has to feel good. It has to feel good to to go in and, and be able to feel like, you know, you're making a difference and you're you're doing it like holding your head high too. You know what I mean? You're like you're making a difference and you're not just like you know, working, working for the man, you know, and trying to like squeeze like pennies out of everything. And like, you're, you're really doing something you're proud of. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, after be selling or marketing pumps and multi-tools and accessories and, and apparel, you know, you make up, make up uh, a lot of stuff to make your product seem better. You just little things. With helmets, though, it's no bullshit. We have to do it right, or someone can die. Right. Um, and there's a there's a dark side to to our industry too, in that we 
we most of the time only encounter it from the perspective of, oh, I crashed and I need a new lid or uh, whatever. Um, you know, it, it makes sense when you start talking to people who lost somebody because of a bad crash um, and whether or not they had a helmet on or not or it was a Cali or not. I mean, it's we're dealing with people here and like I said, you could you could explain away any other piece of equipment that you're wearing except a helmet on a bike right. as far as I'm um, and uh, so yeah, you're right. It's I don't have to fake anything about what I'm selling I, I or talking about. I we have to make it work so that you guys can keep writing. You know, we we have to do a job and we do it. And yeah. nothing nothing leaves our shelves unless it's gonna be safe and that's really cool yeah no i i I wholeheartedly believe you i know i mean i've been down there i've met brad myself you know more more than one instance and and i i i can't say well enough you know that what you're saying is the truth i mean obviously you have the product i mean you have you have nikolai what the hell is his last name again yeah, whatever he said. So you have him throwing himself off a fucking cliff in, in Rampage and, and walking away from it. And uh, I'm sure, you know, hundreds and hundreds of other people out there around the world that have worn your helmet and, and gotten themselves into a situation and walked away from it. And I think that's, you know, that that's that speaks for itself, you know. And I, with that, all that being said, you know, here we are, we're wrapping up into two hours. And, and uh, I, I want to, once again, you know, tell you my appreciation that, that you came out here and uh, spent your Sunday evening with me. I'm sure you much rather been doing something else than, than hanging out with this dude, drinking beer, talking about, about helmets, but. I wish I was there to do it. I'm, I'm sorry that this week's plans didn't work out, man. Cause I actually was hoping to be up there in your garage, especially now that I'm seeing all the shit you got back there. Right. <laughs> There's a plethora of hangover back there. So you gotta be watch out. You come here, you'll catch yeah. a hangover, man. That's what I was <laughs> we, we we can de- we can definitely we can definitely do something though. I mean now I didn't know that you had family right up here in my neck of the woods, so we'll definitely have to get have to get together for sure. So yeah. um, outside of that, man, once again, dude, I appreciate you you stopping by. For all the you that are listening still, um, I think I may not be sure. I'm pretty sure there's a discount code on that old Cali uh, um, interview that I did, and it's um, still still live. I think so. And then also, if you're interested in to help and support the channel through Patreon, I have coupons on there for Cali and other companies as well. Some of them are 20, 25%. Some of them are less, but I mean, I'm trying to bring some value with you with the Patreon to you guys for that. So um, not just the extra content, you know, the longer cut videos or the early release or the sticker pack, like trying to bring it in my eyes. I want that Patreon to be like, Hey, I'm paying this this much, but I'm saving this much. So, I um, if if you guys want to want to help support the channel that way, that'd be awesome as well. If not, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, do whatever the fuck you're doing, dude. Just keep watching the channel. I don't give a shit. It sounds good to me, man. I appreciate all of you. Um, once again, thank you, uh, Patrick, and all you guys out there. Just remember, it only takes a bike to be a biker. Get the fuck out and be one, bitches. <laughs>